Good morning, how are you? Very welcome to the show. I think the message on the front pages of the papers today is probably enjoy yourself. It's later than you think or certainly enjoy yourself while you can if you're that way inclined. Uh, the Irish Mail on Sunday, Neffet warns of New Year restrictions. Um, they're talking about bars and restaurants to close if the surge continues. They're bringing up the bogeyman of schools to be shut, home visits curbed, uh, fresh move to come before December 31st. They're saying here there's a mention inside of pressing the nuclear button on December 30th. So maybe it is a case that this is they're letting us have a Christmas before uh, real reality dawns. Um, the Business Post are leading with uh, a story about the, the, the funding of the National Broadband Plan, which they've been... Uh, They've been needling at that for a few weeks now. But their uh, other uh, front page story is that business leaders have been warned to prepare for potential shutdowns at manufacturing facilities by the middle of January as COVID-19 cases set to spike. I think you would think if if Omicron is going to go as quickly as people think it is through the population, that we'd be looking at a version of what they were calling the pandemic in the UK, uh, without literal pinging, but that so many people are going to be close contacts and uh, a lot of them uh, for five days for the um, boosted, 10 days for other people. They're talking about in the UK, 25% of the population could be out as close contacts at any one time. So there's that aspect to it as well. Um, Sunday Independent Neffet warns of up to 400 COVID cases in ICUs by uh, by January, um, to which Colin Henry says uh, we don't have 400 ICU beds. Uh, that's the modelling from Philip Nolan yesterday that I think, I think we knew a version of it, but I think that uh, when people saw it written out in 22 tweets yesterday, it slightly uh, did give people the heebie-jeebies. And uh, they're talking here about fears across the coalition this weekend that the restrictions announced on Friday might not be sufficient. Um, the Sunday Times... Curbs threatened 60,000 jobs, say hospitality chiefs. That is half the industry, right? So if you put uh, 70,000 working in restaurants, 50,000 working in pubs, uh, half of them going to be laid off. That industry reckons laid off for Christmas. And uh, they also have... um, a story with uh, Michael O'Leary, unvaccinated patients should not be allowed into hospital, he says, and he says it's mass histor- hysteria about the Omicron variant. Um, the Sunday World, uh, actually another Ryanair um, COVID story, uh, a pro boxer who delayed a Ryanair flight with a COVID rant said he is doing the Lord's work. Uh, the Sun has a story about a jail letter uh, revealing a plot to kill a legal advisor. Uh, and the Mur has a Sophie Tusk and Duplantier story, which they are saying that there was a mistake, which allowed the, the quotes killer to access the crime scene, has skewed the probe for 25 years. I'll give you a taste um, for, look for Schadenfreude, if nothing else. Uh, of the front of the English papers, the Observer scientists warned bring in curbs now as infections could hit 2 million a day and the Sunday Telegraph frost quits cabinet as Johnson considers Christmas lockdown. So it does look like a, it's a perfect Christmas storm for Boris Johnson. Okay, our panel this morning, Gary Murphy is Professor of Politics at DCU. Aoife Moore is political correspondent with the Irish Examiner and Kate O'Connell is a pharmacist and a former Fine Gael TD. Good morning, everyone. Morning, Good morning, Brendan. So um, we're hearing all these reports. The over 40s have come out today and they want their boosters for Christmas, Kate, and they're not saying no. And uh, there's apparently, there's, there's miles of traffic along the N7 uh, out towards City West. I have a text here already. 
Uh, it's now a four-hour wait at Punchestown for walk-ins. I've come home, says this person. The centre has closed the queuing system, so no more people can join today. Vaccinators run off their feet. This needs rapid expansion to run 12 hours, seven days, right through until demand is met. I think the centres are running 12 hours, seven days mm-hmm. now. Um, HSE management need to wake up. I think, I think, in fairness, after a slow start, they did wake up about a week ago. Kate, you're at the front line of the uh, of the boosting programme. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> every bit of my age this Sunday after yeah. a week of it um, it's only understandable that the 40 year olds are, are queuing this morning if you add it together I mean if you're 40 your parents are likely to be in their 60s or 70s and many people have been told don't come near us without a booster and essentially the news this week has displayed the waning of the immunity from the from the vaccine and that those with Janssen in them only have three months. Many younger people, like people between 20 and 50, have Janssen in them. So that's waned completely, essentially. AstraZeneca recipients, the same. So a lot of people are going around essentially unvaccinated at the minute, um, yeah. you know, with like maybe 20 percent vaccination from the primary schedule of vaccination. I was in my, my uh, nearby chemist the other day and A, I was a bit worried for my local chemist because he looked stressed out of his mind. But B, in the time I was in there, like loads of people came in and just basically said, have you any boosters? You know, yeah, it was like that. People are walking in off the street. Yeah, you know? and people were very desperate. We had many people break down crying because like some people just, you know, they're at the end of their tether. They've slipped off lists in places. They're in their 60s and they find it very difficult to see someone perhaps younger getting a booster. But often you'd have somebody who looks healthy, but they might be in their 30s, but they might be a transplant recipient or they might have diabetes. So I suppose I'd ask people not to judge the other people in the queue. Okay. There's always a reason. <laughs> right. And, you know, the, the other thing is, is for GPs and farmers, pharmacies this week that the other patients um, looking for their prescriptions or looking for routine health care that they bear with us and we ac- actually had and to turn off looking, our phones and, and people looking to buy a, a box with soap and deodorant and stuff oh forget that forget that get rid of that has that been yeah, we're just forgetting all that <laughs> um, but it's it's for, for, for the rest of us it's, it's, it's we had to turn off the phones because we just couldn't actually the phone just kept ringing and ringing and ringing and we're trying to prioritise pregnant people, people over 60. We'd hope that most people over 60. But we did have um, some funny moments during the week. There was a man of 75 turned up um, in the middle of it all one of the days and we skipped him up the whole queue. I never saw a guy as happy to be 75 (laughs) in my life. I know. And we had another moment, really good moment, where we had a a girl with... um, Down syndrome and she was getting vaccinated and she came out of the room and she jumped in the air and she goes I'm not dead after she got her vaccine so we had some of those lighter moments in the pharmacy during the week but like that the the main thing is is that we're all working as hard as we can um, and pharmacy staff have families too and have Christmas too and, okay. you know, m- many of my staff, uh, front of shop girls, have stayed on extra hours all week to try and get people done. Are, so are, bear are you, with us. Are you scaling down your own Christmas plans just in general? Oh, they're like to a shoestring. I mean, it literally yeah. is myself and my husband sat down last night and we have to do the Christmas dinner uh, um, uh, together somehow between. We're finishing work at six o'clock on Christmas yeah. Eve. And uh, we're open Christmas Day for a few hours as well. Not for vaccines. For batteries. For batteries (laughs) batteries and and essential um, services.
services himself will do okay. that three hours when I'm cooking the turkey but okay. and we've really had but, to scale but back but outside of that outside of it would you have scaled it back anyway are people in a scaling back mentality anyway with all uh, we wouldn't on? be too into getting you know too hectic into, into Christmas but yeah. I mean there was no decorations on our tree until last night oh, I mean okay. it was up a week yeah. but there was nothing on it and I think that's reflective is of there anything most... more depressing than a Christmas tree undecorated well it kind of looked very uh, sort of green and organic <laughs> and um, yeah, very so. environmentally yeah. friendly there for a week with yeah. no plastic on it it was a tree but it was in the house yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Gary are you uh, scaling back your Christmas plans uh, no, but my Christmas plans are very sparse uh, to begin with. So my elderly mother is uh, up with me. Uh, I have uh, a late teenager and an early 20s, so I've given them the sort of warning to you know, mind themselves and not to socialise as much as they perhaps would have wanted to, and, and they're good on that. And are they are they reining it in? Because I get the impression that no, they I, are, yeah. I young people I was talking over the last few days are saying, we're not doing this again, now we've done it two years. Sorry, granddad. No, or, I'm. Yeah. No, I'm. Well, I can only speak for myself, but uh, uh, you know, I've had some socialising, but uh, and then they've taken some antigen tests afterwards, which I think is important in the circumstances I uh, I find myself in. So we literally have the same as last year, myself, my wife, my children, and uh, my mother. Um, and yeah, I don't intend to do uh, to do very much really. Read a bit and yeah, like the Taoiseach said yesterday, you know, watch a few old movies. Yeah. And, and maybe the one the one social event that he suggested we should have before then pulling back and saying I wouldn't dare tell anyone to only have one but uh, <laughs> exactly yeah. and I noticed his cork accent certainly went up when uh, when he said that and his, his accent is very downbeat um, for those not from Cork uh, at the beginning of the show when he was talking about the grim nature of Omicron you'd have probably noticed this his, his Cork accent definitely dropped an octave which I've, I've, I uh, I detected that being a very grim warning Okay yeah yeah That that's that, there's two types of Cork accents you're saying there's the well, there's the normal one we have, then there's the yeah. one that drops a little bit okay. for grim news, and then there's okay. the excited one okay. that goes right. up an octave. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I detected all three yeah. in the okay. T-shirt yesterday. Okay, okay. Um, Aoife, you're the youngest person I'm here. Are, young person. are young people, are they going to go with restrictions again? Are they curtailing their life? No. No, no. like, uh, I'm in a bit of a different situation just because my granddad's 84 and I stay with him when I go up at Christmas. So I I will skin my plans back just because my granddad's like my best mate. But I would say that like, anecdotally from my friends, like I'm 30, my friends are in their late 20s, early 30s. And the feeling very much is, especially because a lot of them are boosted in the north because they're a wee bit ahead of us when it comes to the boosters. And the feeling very much is, um, we did the good thing last year. We've got our vaccines. We abided by the restrictions, and they're not as care- going to be as careful. I'm not saying they're going to like let loose. Just anecdotally, I'm hearing that like they feel like they've done everything. They've got their vaccines. They've done everything else, and yeah. they're you not see, going to be as. No, yeah. I don't think anyone is going to be as careful and as they were last year. If this is actually the time when we really have to be careful, but but you know, yeah, you wonder if some people have stopped hearing it now. Okay, let's take a bit of uh, expert input. Um, professor Paddy Mallon is on the line. Paddy is, of course, Professor of Microbial Diseases in UCD and a consultant in infectious diseases at Vincent's University Hospital. Uh, good morning, Paddy. Good morning, Brenda. Um, can I ask you first, how are things looking at, um, at in Vincent's today, uh, COVID-wise? 
Uh, we've been very steady, Brendan, over the last number of weeks. Obviously, the, the hospital is extremely busy doing what hospitals want to be doing, which is you know the non-COVID work and, and elective work. And you know, the, all, all of the hospitals, as you know, are working past capacity. So there's not a huge amount of, of flex in the system to deal with another wave. But the COVID side of things has been very steady now for a number of weeks. And we haven't seen a, any great change in the numbers or the severity. Okay, and are you are you expecting it? Are you and your colleagues kind of braced now for like, I don't know, potentially the worst scenes we've seen? I think you've got to prepare for the worst, but at the same time, everyone I think is horizon scanning for what's going on in other countries, and obviously the 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 hospitalizations and the numbers are increasing all around the world, and you know we're seeing different patterns. If you look at South Africa, for example, they're really starting to report quite a distinct disconnect between the number of daily cases and the deaths, which is really reassuring. And are, are you trusting that? Because, you know, a lot of people are saying there's massive caveats with, with taking South Africa as an example. There's caveats with everything. I trust their data because, the, you know, the South Africans are street scientists in their own right. So I don't think that they're reporting data that isn't accurate, but they have their own type of pandemic. You know, they, they have a population that's seen a lot of the, the beta variant before, and this is an immune escape variant, so they've built up a, a level of immunity. A, a lot of the people in South Africa have been previously infected, and I think that's probably standing in their stead. Uh, but even with that, there is this sense, even talking to the South Africans, that it's a bit like, like Kate said earlier on, that the brunt of this pandemic is actually being felt in the community rather than in the hospital. So a lot of yeah. people are getting sick, but the, the brunt of it's fallen on the, on the okay. community services rather okay, than hospitals. Whether like that's that, the same yeah. here, we have to wait that's, and see. That's probably doable, isn't it? I mean, people getting sick isn't the, isn't the end of the world if it doesn't overwhelm the health service if they're able to stay at home. Um, Paddy, I know you were saying that we should be looking at Denmark as um, as, as, as possibly a bit closer to us in terms of size and, and, and everything else. And I know they have a similar amount of the population vaccinated. I went and looked at Denmark and I think it was the, it was that the first piece I saw. It sounds fairly alarming there. Their modelling is, is kind of more alarming than ours, isn't it? Yeah, so Denmark is, is interesting because it's like I said, every country has their own pandemic. You know, and in fairness to the UK, I don't think our pandemic has followed the patterns of the UK. We've had different policies. We've had different openings and lockdowns. We've had different vaccination schedules and vaccination rates. So... Although what's happening in the UK is alarming, that doesn't necessarily translate into what's going to happen here. When you look at Denmark, Denmark have 76% of their population vaccinated. They've got 1.8 million boosters given, so about 32% of the population has received a booster. So that's very similar to where we're at. But they're about a week ahead of us in terms of the Omicron. And when you look at their numbers at the minute, their numbers are alarming. You know, they, they had The day before yesterday, they had 11,000 cases. But when you translate that, when you go back two weeks, two weeks they had about seven or 8,000 cases per day. Normally, two weeks later, you'd expect that to be translating into hospital admissions. Uh, yesterday, they had an additional 15 hospitalizations, so their hospital numbers went up by 15. So I, I'm, I, that, that's where I'm tracking. I think that the, the, the other reason why Denmark's good is that they have fabulous PCR capacity. Mm. So they, they haven't maxed out in the PCR capacity, so they're going to be able to track... Omicron daily numbers probably better than a lot of other countries in Europe. So that's my horizon scanning. Uh, and I okay. think that before we start looking, you know, there's a lot of Armageddon talk for what's going to happen yeah. in the UK. I think we need to take a step back and we need to look at what we're doing on the front line here in terms of our vaccinations, which are, I mean, are, and in terms of the, the, the way society is bought in 
to the managing COVID in Ireland. And I think we just need to, to take a breath and, and yeah. just look to see what, what unfolds over the next week or 10 days in Denmark. Okay, okay. Yeah, and of course the other thing to bear in mind is that, as everyone will tell you, people in the UK have been, up to a week ago certainly, were living life as if there was no pandemic in a lot of cases. So they were, they are, were really uh, conducting themselves differently to us. Just a quick question, Paddy, and I, I'll, I'll bring in the panel then, but you might stay with us. But just a quick one. Um, I think a lot of people are quite alarmed about this notion of a doubling every two days. And today, Rachel Lavin has a good piece in the business post saying she's talking to Carl Walsh, who's a statistician in the in the University of Limerick, and he's also on the epidemiological modelling advisory group that advises NEFET. He says that that the virus might double for about three doublings, but that then it'll slow down because it's gonna it's gonna hit a wall of immunity, I guess. It's gonna run out of people who who are more naive to the virus and stuff. Would you go along with that? Because like I think people are getting into crazy projections here of millions of cases within a week kind of thing. Yeah, so he makes a good point in that there's there's this concept of a virus can only attack someone who's susceptible, and and not everyone in the population is going to be susceptible to infection. The difference between Omicron and the the other variants is that there are more susceptible people because the the vaccines aren't going to hold up as well. So you get more infections, but not everyone's going to be susceptible. And what Cahill's sort of saying is that eventually the virus will run out of susceptible hosts to find. Following on from that, you've got the vulnerable people, and vulnerable people are different. The vulnerable people are those that are susceptible that will then develop severe disease, and that's where the disconnect may arrive. This may, may be a virus that infects a huge amount of susceptible people, and you'll see a lot of people doubly vaxxed, triply vaxxed getting this infection. But what we do know that is, even if you get the infection, if you've got your booster dose on board, the, the, the hope is that the lab data anyway would suggest that you, the, yeah. the, the impact of that in terms of, of going on to severe disease death, we would hope would be reduced because your immunity would be boosted. Okay, and Paddy, just a quick one on that, and I'll go back to the panel then. Texter here saying, how long does it take for the booster jab becoming effective? Many people think they're bulletproof immediately after getting it. Will someone getting it today be okay for Christmas? Because we've heard kind of that it starts kicking in straight away. We've heard 7, 14... The general consensus is usually around seven days. Your immune system will start behaving, will start reacting against the vaccine very, very quickly. But there's one important point, Brent, and this vaccine will not render you bulletproof. Um, And especially against Omicron, the vaccine may prevent you from getting sick. But the big difference this time around is that you're not, your ability to protect your loved ones through vaccination alone is going to be much, much dampened. So if people think because I've got boosted that I don't need to follow the public health advice, that I can mingle with vulnerable members of my family, that really isn't the case this time around. And we do need to take other measures to protect our loved ones, especially around this time of year. Okay, just just one more quick question then. Where does that leave us with four households multi-generational gathering at Christmas? Because what I'm reading in the UK is that the scientists are saying we need to stop households mixing. And Netherlands, I think, are saying you can have four people from outside your household in your household at Christmas and then two after that. Every other country seems to be fingering households mixing in homes as the issue here, whereas we've put it all on hospitality. I think everyone's got to make their own plan, Brendan. You know, we can be, uh, in a way, guidelined out of existence. I think the public get this, uh, and I okay. think when you when you look at what you're going to do at Christmas, what I would say is look at the vulnerable people in your family and take measures to protect them. The, the, the ways that you can protect vulnerable people in your family is 
Don't go near them if you've got symptoms. Make sure you get tested and isolate. That's the big thing. Right. Use the mitigation testing that we know can help. So things like pre-median antigen tests, I think, really need to be a component of what we're doing. Make sure when you do meet that, you know, unless it's sitting down for dinner, if it's casual visits and there is someone vulnerable, masks work, ventilation works. So people just need to have to, to take on board what we've learned in the okay. last two years and apply a bit of common sense. The bottom line with this is we know from last year you don't get a second chance with this. And I sat last January in hospital looking at a huge number of people coming in very unwell because they've made the wrong choices at Christmas. And some of those people will not be sitting at Christmas dinner this year. Okay. So everybody just needs to take a step back, look at who, who they're, they're mingling with, look at their loved ones and make sure to take the necessary protections. Okay, thanks. Will you stay with us, Paddy? Kate, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, just, I mean, just to, to echo what Paddy said, I mean, it's it, getting a booster doesn't, there's this idea that it's going to fix up your Christmas and you can go off and lead your best Christmas ever. Um, I mean, when you have... <laughs> When you have vulnerable people, you still need to wear a mask, keep your two metres and keep the room ventilated and just protect everybody with the same levels of protection um, that we have been doing for the last, whatever, 18 months or two years. Um, I mean, the idea that um, we could go back to a January like we had last year um, is terrifying from the health service point of view, but also, you know, looking at the transmissibility of this variant um, it's going to rip through the population, but it's just a matter of how we um, try and dampen it down and the impact it has on our population. Um, it's, so, it's, so, Kate, do you think, have we restricted enough here? I know you picked out the the front pages of the Mail and the Indoor were both suggesting that, you know, maybe around New Year's that there could be a tighter lockdown. Yeah, I think that's where we're going. I yeah. would predict that's where we're going. Have your I, Christmas. Do you think they've only held it off just to give us a Christmas and that in reality? I think, I, I think it's been a massive shock to everybody. And I think even the Taoiseach on your show yesterday, the fact he said, I am very worried, I think was what he said. He said, well, he was worried, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he thinks the worst could be. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, maybe, uh, yes. Maybe. And I think that's a bit of a shock for us all. When we look back to the summer of, you know, um, go off and try and do things or we're always going forward. I think for many of us, um, when it was, oh, we were going to keep going forward and never going okay. back. I think this is very, very shocking Gar- for most people. Gary, are we, ha- are we having another meaningful Christmas here? Like, are we putting off what we know needs to be done for a week just because we think people can't bear it? Uh, potentially, yeah. And um, it was very interesting that Taoiseach didn't use the phrase meaningful Christmas, uh, which has disappeared completely off the lexicon and, and probably rightly so, never to be heard of uh, again. Uh, I mean, Paddy's point about the, the vaccine uh, not being bulletproof, I think there was a sense in the summer when we first got our two jabs that it would make us uh, bulletproof. Omicron has come out of, well, it's come out of South Africa, but kind of came out of the ether uh, just on top of Delta. And I mean, the great fear, of course, is that uh, the virus will mutate again and there'll be a Omicron 2 or whatever is next in the, the Greek alphabet and uh, with even, you know, potentially more uh, more worries. Um, I mean, again, the, as Paddy said, the data is sort of unclear in one way of how sick Omicron will make him in comparison to Delta and other variants. But, um, yeah, but Paddy sounds hopeful enough. He at, does, yeah. At the same time, um, yeah. What, what, Aoife, what, what is the, the politics of how this is all playing out at the moment? Like, what's going on? You tell me. Um, no, <laughs> I think um, from the ministers that I spoke to um, during the week, they got some land when the Neffet letter came in. I don't think that they were expecting this at all. The five o'clock 
advice, I think, spooked them. And we had, you know, the Fianna Fáil senators, who obviously must have forgot they were in government, out on the plinth talking to the media, saying we can't have a five o'clock closing because that's terrible for pub well, owners. Well, you're allowed to have a voice in, in a government. It is a democracy. Uh, like, yeah, you know? absolutely. But um, I would say, you know, you could also lift the phone and talk to your leader. But... Anyway, I think, yeah, everyone got a big shock. I totally agree with Kate in the way that I think we are heading for another January lockdown. I think everybody now agrees with that. I think the Taoiseach on your show yesterday made it quite clear that he is very worried. Um, I'd say Michael Martin walks around in a permanent state of worry at this stage. But we are in an alarm meaningful Christmas. And I would also like to point out that we were once in September talking about disbanding Neffet, putting them back into their regular rules and we thought we had conquered this so and the line that came from the government the whole time was once we open something we're not going to close it again and we're back here and yeah. I always think the issue with this government is they are not proactive they're reactive and I just think we're two In years what into way this now? what do you mean because we know there's going to be variants. We know that we knew they were going to need boosters. All these things were predictable, but yet we are just fighting fires all the time. I never feel like there's any grand Is plan. Is the pandemic not the ultimate forest fire? Like, but yeah, we were two years yeah. into a pandemic, and yeah. we, we've had so variants what, before. What should they have been more I said this. About? I said this to the Taoiseach at the time when we were in Brussels. I said, why is there no contingency plan? And he said, well, because nobody foresaw this. And I was like, yeah, that's why it's called it a contingency plan. What, what, I don't understand what you mean, I the contingency plan. I mean, we knew from months ago that there was going to have to be a booster programme. We knew that we were yeah. going to have to get third vaccine. So that should have been ramped up. You know, they were laying off or putting uh, vac- vaccinators back off when we should have been planning for this ahead. Things like the pubs closing. The pubs are always going to be the first to go. We know that they're high levels of socialisation. So there should have been more contingency planning there and also keeping people informed. Even in the last couple of weeks, you know, saying to the press, you can't talk to members of NEFIT until you, you have to go. We have to go through the government press service now if we want to talk to members of NEFIT. Yeah. Things like that worries people. But did, Why yeah, did we not always have to go through the Department nope, of Health? No. Nope. So if we wanted to speak to members in effort, we could speak to members in effort. But now we have to okay. go through the government information. I think service. we always have to go through. The but I mean, the, health, p- yeah. the, the problem, of course, has been mixed messaging. Um, that's what the government is trying to do in relation to an effort. I'm not saying it's right, but that, yeah. that the issue is mixed messaging. The messaging well, a lot of which is coming from the government, Gary, in fairness. Oh, I, I, oh, weren't always the ones mixing oh, yeah, messaging. Yeah. Oh, I, I completely accept that. And half the problem is there is leaking from NEFIT. I mean, you don't want to be very naive to think that NEFIT isn't leaking in, in and of it itself. It's I would leaking. also like to point out that a lot of the leaks are coming from government. Yeah, of course. Well, I know. I mean, and it's the lifeblood of journalism. But, you know, to suggest or to think, um, you know, that there's not leaking on both sides is simply not the the case. But and and, and I have some sympathy for the government in this regard because uh, mixed messaging is, you know, it's really it's the death knell for public confidence. You know, they're hearing one thing from Stephen Donnelly one day, they're hearing something else from Tony Holhan the next day. You know, they don't know whether they're coming or going. And I think on but antigen Mick, is testing there, is again, an you know, it's that could have been done much quicker today as well. Whereas, like, you you if you if we take you as three random oh. enough people, all firmly believe there's there is going to be a lockdown it's the front of all the papers and everything but it's kind of in this coy kind of way of saying well look look, this is it for now we might be back but you know we'll see how we go well the Taoiseach said he'd hoped he was wrong um, and that if you know everyone sort of you know didn't have a meaningful Christmas and locked themselves down and tried to you know, isolate as best they could, follow the public health advice. But it's, it's a bit of a stretch to think but you know everyone will do that and know, that's why the worries the are, are there was it, it I, I thought one thing that he said yesterday that I thought was interesting was which we've heard before at different times 
this is not inevitable. Because yeah. I do think a sense of fatalism has crept in around Omicron. Paddy, it's the numbers, Paddy, it, isn't it? Paddy, is it inevitable that this is going to sweep through the population in two, three weeks, the way everyone's talking about? Is it inevitable that we're going to need to lock down in January? Is it inevitable that the schools are going to close? Um, a lot of inevitable, sir. The bottom line is we don't know. I think one thing yeah. is, I, I, I said this a number of months ago, when you start opening up society uh, with a, a, a lower respiratory infectious coronavirus, lots of people are going to come in contact with it. That paradigm hasn't gone away. That paradigm has actually increased two to threefold. So to say it's inevitable everybody's going to get it, no. But to say that it's inevitable that, it's, it, that, that a large number of people are going to get it, yes. Uh, and how you prevent that is, is really de- depends on to what extent you need to prevent it. And that's really where the, the hospitalizations and deaths come in. And they're really difficult decisions. No one has a crystal ball. And, you know, the, the one thing that I would suggest is the, the one characteristic about this wave is if it, if it is transmissible and we get a lot more cases, it's likely going to be a shorter wave than other waves. So yeah. we need the horizon scan. We need to look what's happening in other countries. And if we do bring in further restrictions because we think they're needed, we also need to to be able to roll back on them quickly if we see yeah. that in a, the eventuality didn't arise. Yeah, um, and so I think, I, I think, I think there's a lot of difficult decisions ahead made. over the next couple of weeks. I mean, we yeah. need to be, I think you can't be too critical of people in these positions having to make these tough choices either because they are tough choices. Yeah, yeah. And look, you don't want to lock everything down if there's not going to be a need for it either, I suppose. Gary, you were going to say there about antigen tests. Well, that's another thing. The government has been a bit slow uh, on the uptake. Um, and, you know, we, we heard Philip Nolan's famous uh, comment about uh, snake oil, which he did um, admit was, you know, maybe not his uh, wisest choice of words. Um, but it goes to Aoife's point in terms of, of reaction and antigen testing. And I've done a good few myself, as have my uh, family now, is a very important um, step in the fight against this uh, this virus. But could it be yeah. much earlier, I think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people are <coughs> clicking on to it now. Yeah. Paddy, you must get a certain satisfaction that... Uh, the government has finally uh, put its weight behind antigen testing, given that you were uh, you were on that expert group, weren't you? Yeah, no, I, I do think it's got a very important role to play. I, I thought as much back at the start of 2020 when it was part of the, the group that was convened by the Minister for Health that, was, that was, was led by the Chief Scientific Advisor. The science that was presented within that report hasn't changed. Um, you know, we know that it's a test of infectiousness. It's not really shouldn't be used as a test of diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and, and really, the, it's the cheap ability to, to, to roll out on a wide scale a, a test that's easy for people to perform at home. I think that's really the trick that we're only really starting to get to grips with now. I'm really glad to see it coming in. Um, I do think that they, sh- they should have been subsidized more than they are because uh, even with, with the coming up to Christmas, there's so many financial pressures that the antigen buying of the antigen test may be far down the, the Absolutely. Christmas shop. Like, look, it's another example of two pandemics here, you know. Kate, what are you charging for antigen tests? <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. Yeah. And they're very varied in price yeah. and there's no VAT on them, actually, just as in, it, which has yeah. helped reduce the price. So you can get um, in a community pharmacy down to about three fifty, four fifty yeah. yeah. in multiple boxes. Um, I think... You know, they Do have you a, notice the, more people seem to be adopting Yeah, and people are now, using yeah. them in a responsible fashion. Mm. And um, 
they're recognizing the limitations of the test as well as as um, the benefits of the test. So it's, it's not just a case of people buying boxes of them testing, being negative and heading out to a house party. That's not what what I'm experiencing. Um, it's, it's people like Gary said, with a vulnerable older person in the family yeah. testing um, to try and protect the family. But the, 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 the three main moving parts of this pandemic haven't really changed and start. The virus hasn't done anything mad, anything that we wouldn't naturally expect a virus to do. It seems it, to have become way, way more infectious all of a sudden. Yes, like but, that's what, that, but that's what viruses do. England. That's what yeah. they have always done. And um, they will find a host, which is the human. They will colonise the host, which is the human. And they will attack um, the systems of the human. So that is what has happened. Um, then you have the other moving part, which is the people. So we had obviously the the Aviva Brigade and the Halloween Brigade and the Meaningful Br- Christmas Brigade or whoever you want to blame. So it's easy to blame different cohorts of people. But the, 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 the main driver here is policy. And policy has been divided between government and effort, which is a two-headed beast. And, and you know, you can say that if you, if you track every wave, before every wave, you can track back about three months or two months in this case to a policy decision that could possibly, to my mind, have contributed to a surge, such as the opening of the nightclubs, um, such as the opening of the pubs. But in, yet we still fairness, go back and we blame a variant always. Because it's uh, very easy, to, it's fairness, very easy fairness, to blame COVID because COVID can't you, answer back. Say, but hang on a minute. You're, you're saying that, that the decision to open nightclubs, OK, maybe n- n- not a wise one in retrospect and people thought at the time it mightn't have been a wise one. But you're blaming that for Omicron. I'm not blaming it for the creation of a variant. I'm blaming it for for a spread. I'm blaming some policy decisions for the spread. And because because when you open nightclubs and pubs, sorry now when when you open when you open nightclubs and clubs and places that and I love nightclubs and pubs and I'm mad for all of those things. It's not like I'm one of those people I love. I can't wait to go to coppers again or wherever I'm going to go. Nightclubs, nightclubs and late bars have been closed. Before Omicron was Absolutely, in this country, but I'm saying when you make policy, what country in the world when made a policy make, decision wh- that would that was going to stop Omicron? When come you, on, now. Th- when you make policy decisions that that say come on out and mix again, you know that gives an impression that the pandemic is over. When we all know now, it wasn't over. It never could have been over yeah. in September. So it's very easy. Obviously, Omicron is covered. We know but what do, every would you virus. Not agree with uh, Leo Varadkar that we need to live our lives when we can. Periods when of peace I and the long war. Agreed with Leo Varadkar <laughs> on anything. Okay, okay, okay. Like, <laughs> equally, you could have the certainty of keeping everything locked down all the time and keeping social life locked down. But there's a lot of people who well, are going to say we want. We need to be able to live. I think we, we have to accept well, what you know? living with COVID actually is. Okay. Uh, Paddy, before you go, can I ask you, uh, uh, just, uh, we've we've kind of been, our attention has been called to you and your colleagues on the front line and in ICUs and stuff again this week, I think, by, uh, I think by Philney Hay yesterday on with Katie, prime time the other night and everything. What is the what is the message from from you guys who are going to bear the brunt of this in one way? I guess the first thing I'd like to say is is a big shout out to all of the GPs and the pharmacists in the country because over the next two weeks they are our front line of defence and they are protecting the health service. It's gratifying to see so many members of the public queuing up for their booster jobs because they're protecting everyone in the country as well as themselves by getting their boosters. And I'd just like to just say to everybody. 
we need to learn the lessons that we learned from last year in terms of what happens at Christmas. Have a plan in place. Remember, you don't get a second chance and just use all of the mitigation measures that we have to, to try and make Christmas as safe as possible for everybody. OK. All right. Paddy Mallon, um, I, I hope you have a happy Christmas of some description, but I hope you have a peaceful one anyway, certainly for all our sakes. OK, thanks, Paddy. Thank um, Gary, there, there's uh, there's lots of other aspects uh, to this, but there is something you picked out today. Uh, it's Julian Maloney in the Sunday Independent, and it's about uh, young people. Yeah. I mean, and it, it kind of goes to um, to Kate's point about uh, socialisation or not, uh, as the case may be. So I interact with young people all the time. Um, you know, I have a few of my own, but uh, at university I teach and um, we have uh, the population are very good. The kids, they wear their masks, they go in, they go to class for the most part. Um, sure some of them skip off like we all did to the pub. Um, and they, uh, they're doing their best as far as I can uh, can make out. And I think it is very difficult, and this is the point Julia makes, it's very difficult um, to see this constant rolling out of more lockdown measures. Yeah. And it's really, it is, it's very difficult. And, you know, again, I, uh, God, it's a year since I've been in a nightclub, but, you know, um, I like to socialise like the next person does. And I can see how difficult it is to keep these things closed. And then there is the, the livelihoods of the people involved. And we, we saw some of the really heartbreaking scenes, I think, on the um, on the RT News uh, during the week. Uh, we saw you know, Hugo's tweeted last night, people with not Iris and that it was closing. And, um, you know, it's really, it's really difficult. And um, mm. these, these are, it, it, the balance is very difficult to make. And I think I, I have sympathy, as I said, uh, for yeah. the Taoiseach and, and for everyone in government. And, you know, I, I, everyone is trying to do their best. I think Neffet are doing their best. Dean Kerrigan's piece says, you know, follow the science and Neffet had been right from the beginning. Um, but the government, as Danny McConnell made a very good point in his piece in yesterday's examiner, um, you know, government is about just more than public health advice, but but these are not these are not easy choices. And, yeah. you know, I have great sympathy for people who are in public, Absolutely. like trying to do yeah. their best. Yeah. Um, Aoife, going back to where we started mm-hmm. there, which is the young people, like Julie Maloney making the point they, that, that, that the the uh, 20-somethings, 18 to 20-something, probably uh, enduring the highest levels of pandemic stress, I mm-hmm. think the research yeah. shows, and that going into this, one in three women of that age <clears throat> and one in five men were already experiencing s- symptoms or aspects of, of depression. Mm-hmm. Would that would that bear out what you see? Yeah, I mean, I can even speak about my own mental health in the pandemic. Like really? Can, yeah, absolutely. I am, as you can probably tell, a very outgoing person. Yeah. <laughs> and lockdown hit me like a boss. I am used to being around people all the time. And then, obviously, everyone's trying to be safe. And you're in the house all the time. And I was out every Friday and Saturday night until the pandemic came. And it does. It hits you like a boss. And I would say that young people, young people in the Republic have been very, even, I can even compare it to, you know, the North and, like, very willing to go by the rules and get their vaccine and do everything you can. You know, we see it in university campuses and everything else. And I have absolutely no doubt that the next pandemic that we are going to be facing is a mental health one. I think it's made everybody very anxious. Everybody's very stressed, no matter what age you are. But I do think, and I can look even look back at my own university experience, I couldn't think of anything more anti-COVID rules in my own university experience. And I think a lot has been taken away from people. And I feel like you need that release in your early 20s. You know, you start living by yourself or whatever else and going out. And I do think investment in mental health is going to have to be the next thing this government or the next government really takes on because I think we're headed for something pretty bad. 
Well, look, let's, yeah, let's not forget them. Uh, okay, we'll take a break. Gary Murphy, Aoife Moore and Kate O'Connell staying with us.